0: This morning, Isaiah 49, and I just want to share a quote from um, an old dead theologian, J. Gresham Machen, who said, The more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. And so that's why we we, we focus our attention on God each week, uh, hearing from his word. We want to know him, for the more we know him, The more we we will trust him, the more helped we'll we'll be uh, to get through the difficult days uh, of our lives uh, on this earth. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach To the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, now as we Turn our attention toward your word. Uh, Lord, we pray for your help. Father, that th- these uh, next uh, several, several minutes would not just be um, hearing the words of, of a man, but Father, that your word would be heard, received, and loved, and glorified in. Father, we pray that you would help us to know God so that we would more unreservedly trust in him. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if we are in danger, it is always better for us to know that we are, know what the danger is, be aware of it, so that we then can seek help. Yet throughout the history of the world, so many people have either not known about the spiritual danger that they are in, or they have just refused to believe it. So many even today are choosing to believe that they aren't in any danger spiritually, Instead, they, they go on with their lives believing that they have nothing to be concerned about. And uh, it's been uh, a year now for me since I went uh, in for a medical procedure that I definitely did not want to have done. My, do- my uh, doctor recommended that I have a, a colonoscopy. Uh, now the, the procedure itself is not that big of a deal. Not, not, nothing to be afraid of, it's just the, the, the preparation for that procedure that is so incredibly unenjoyable. But I went through it because I believe that if you have a serious problem, it's much better to be aware of it than to go on living and be completely ignorant of it until it's too late. And reading the Bible it does something similar for us as well. The Bible is not afraid to show us the great spiritual danger that we are in. It tells us how our world actually is. It tells us that the human condition in this world is not as rosy and consequential as we would like to think. The Bible uses words like darkness, cursed, evil, and wicked to describe the condition of the world, the very world that we inhabit. You would think that we, we would want to know this, but sadly, for so many in the world, and even for many, many people who would call themselves Christians and attend church regularly, they they have have no idea. They have no idea of our deadly spiritual condition. They they prefer not to know. They ignore or dismiss what the Bible says, choosing instead to believe things are just fine. They're like patients whose insides are full of cancer, but they would prefer not to know about it and just go on believing there's nothing wrong. For so many, ignorance is bliss. But the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah tells us in these verses that the world we live in is a dark place. It's like living, working, and raising your family in a place where you cannot see the right way to go, nor can you see the traps and the dangers that are all Around you. It is a, a deadly place. And yet, it is a place that's not without hope. For even though we are in a world that is under the condemnation of God for our sin and our idolatry, this is still a world that God loves. A world where He has sent the light of His Son in order to bring salvation to the end of the earth. That's what we remember and celebrate each and every Advent, uh, the coming of of, of the light into the sin-darkened world. That's why we light the candles each week, celebrating that God has not forsaken this dark world, but has sent the light, has sent our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, into it. What these verses and Isaiah uh, are pointing us to, is that in the midst of a dark and ugly world, the Lord has sent the light of his salvation. That's our main theme from this passage this morning. In the midst of a dark and ugly world, the Lord has sent the light of his salvation. Now these verses in Isaiah are known as one of the servant songs uh, of Isaiah. Uh, The prophet proclaims the word of the Lord regarding The Lord's servant who identifies with God's people, uh, but also works to to serve and to save God's wayward people. And I've chosen just seven verses here from the beginning of uh, the the second of these servant songs, which point to the coming of the Lord Jesus for us to ponder as we begin uh, Advent this year. And you'll see uh, three main things regarding the Lord's servant or the servant of Yahweh, in our passage this morning, first, we'll see the Lord will display his glory through his servant. That's verses 1 through 4. Uh, second, the Lord will call the nations to be saved through his servant, To verses 5 and 6. And third, in verse 7, we see, though despised, the Lord's servant will be honored by all. If you want to just... Sum up each point with uh, one word, just can, you can just say glory for the first, salvation for the second, and honor for the third. Glory, salvation, and honor. So let's get into the first one. The Lord will display his glory through his servant, verses one through four. Now Isaiah was a, was a prophet for the southern kingdom, the people of Judah, uh, during the time of the kings, primarily the kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, Yet in the second half of the book, Isaiah seems to be looking ahead and and writing for the Jewish people who would be carried off into exile in Babylon um, after their defeat of of Judah. So in our passage then, Isaiah is writing for people who are in captivity because of God's judgment on them for their disregard of his word. He's, He's writing to a people in the darkness of their own sin, uh, who are in the darkness of great spiritual danger. Uh, Verse 1 here begins with a most important command. Listen to me. Listen to me. And this reminds us once again of the all-important work that we are called to do in regard to the Word of God. We are called to listen which means more than just recognizing the words that are being spoken. It means take heed. It means we are called to know, to obey. Like, like when a parent gives their, their children warnings or instructions. They, they don't just want their children to, to recognize that, that they're saying something to them. The parents' hope is that their children will do what they say, will take heed to the the warnings that they're being given, will follow the instructions that their parents are leading them in. So we are to listen. And who is this message for? Well, again, it says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar, so it's not just being addressed to Israel. It's not a message primarily for Israel, but, but for those outside of Israel. It's given to Israel, but it's for calling out to those outside, those far off peoples. Oh, coastlands was a, a reference to, to the nations as far off as could be imagined, to the ends of the earth, as is mentioned that there later in verse 6. The, the, the Lord has always had a plan for those beyond Israel. Now, who is the one speaking here to the people from afar? Well, look at verse 3. There we find that he is the Lord's servant, the servant of Yahweh. Uh, Let's take a closer look at these verses and see what we can find out about this person, uh, the the Lord's servant. First, in the second half of verse 1, we see here that the Lord had called him into service and given him a name before he was born. Uh, This naming refers not to Just how he would have been uh, identified by his parents or his family members, but the name would signify his purpose. If God names a person, uh, particularly before the person is born, he has a specific purpose for the one he names. And the name would point to his mission. He was being called to fulfill. Now, in Isaiah, we, we hear a lot about names. Uh, a lot about names in Isaiah, particularly the names given to the Savior. Uh, the Savior that the Lord would send into the world. So if we go back to Isaiah seven fourteen, we hear about the virgin who would conceive and would give birth to a son whose name would be, we are told, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in chapter 9, Verse 6, once again, the Lord tells us about a son that will be born. And we are then told again long before the child appears that he will be called these different names. And these names are all much more a description of who he is rather than you know, what uh, his, his, his mother would call out to get his attention. These names are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in our text, in chapter 49, we hear this servant confess that God himself called him and named him before he was born. And then what what do we find when we turn to the Gospel of Matthew? Chapter 1, when the Lord is announcing the coming of his son into the world to Joseph, the betrothed husband of the Virgin Mary, who um, at that time was pregnant, was expecting a child. The child would be, of course, the Son of God. You remember that the Lord told Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew a name Yeshua, which means the Lord is my salvation. So who is the servant of the Lord referred to here in Isaiah 49? Well, from our vantage point, it would seem to be pointing to the Christ, to the one who would be given the name Jesus, the Son of God who is the only one, the only one who could fulfill the Lord's call on him to become our salvation, to be the salvation to those to the ends of the earth. But we see in verse 3 that the Lord refers to his servant as Israel. Look at verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So Israel. Where it asks, Is this saying that the servant is not necessarily a person, but the whole nation of Israel? Well the, the Lord goes on to say that in whom that is in my servant Israel, I will be glorified. Or it may be translated, I will display my beauty. I will display my, my splendor, my glory, through this servant. And the problem of, is, of course, that at this time in the history of the people of Israel, well, they had tragically failed to display the Lord's glory. They were called to display his glory to to the nations, but they had tragically failed. When, when, When the nations looked upon Israel, they did not see the beauty or the glory of the Lord shining forth. What they saw was a nation that had forsaken the Lord. They had turned away from the Lord for idols, the idols of the surrounding nations. They saw, when they looked at Israel, a broken, wicked, wretched nation that had been overrun by their enemies from the east and then carried off into exile. So this servant then, this servant whom the Lord had named, whom the Lord had called, would succeed where Israel failed. While Israel was was unfaithful to God's call upon them to be a light to the nations, the servant would shine forth the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. Where Israel had failed to remain faithful to God, this servant would never forsake the Lord. And he would fulfill the law completely. He would never sin. And where the religious leaders of Israel would lead people astray with their teaching, The words of this servant would be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, for he would speak the very words of God. His words, as it says in verse 2, would not only be effective to those who followed him closely, but would also fly further out, away from the land of Israel, like the polished arrow to the ends of the earth. Oh, Israel had failed. They had failed to glorify the Lord, so the Lord here was calling a new Israel, a true Israel, who would truly display his beauty, his glory to all who had eyes to see while he was on the earth and he would show forth his glory to the nations through his words, which his people would carry to them. So the question then, for you and me, is, is are we listening to his words? Are we paying attention? Are we hearing as to heed and obey his words and, and, and thus come to know and see the beauty of the Lord displayed in his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, as I mentioned before, J. Gresson Machen saying, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly Trust him? Do you trust him? Are you growing in your trust in the Lord Jesus? The more you listen to him, the more you will. Secondly, we see that the Lord will call the nations to be saved through a servant. This is in verses 5 and 6. Let's, let's look, look back at these verses. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The American singer uh, Billy Joel had a lot of popular songs. Uh, he's also been around quite a long time. Um, I was looking him up this week, I realized he's the same age as, as my dad. Never never would have put the, them two together, uh, Billy Joel and my father. But it, it, his first record on a major record label was released forty nine years ago this past November in 1973. And of all of his songs over the years, he's probably the most well known. For his first song, or at least the the first song he released from that first album on the radio, Piano Man. Piano Man. It's kind of an autobiographical song uh, where he sings about performing in a bar each weekend, and he describes some of the regular characters that uh, he saw there each week. Uh, Even if you're not a, a Billy Joel fan, you probably recognize the song if you heard the chorus Uh, which always uh, began with uh, la, 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 diddy-da, la, 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 diddy-da, da, da, dum. There you go, now it's in your head. (laughs) One of the last lines in that song reflects the feeling that the customers at the bar all had about having such a talented musician perform For them in this lowly dive of a bar each weekend. The verse goes like this. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday, and the manager gives me a smile, because he knows that it's me they've been coming to see, to forget about life for a while. And the piano, it sounds like a carnival, and the microphone smells like a beer, and they sit at the bar and put bread in my jar and say, man... What are you doing here? All believers who are Gentiles, that is, who are not of Jewish origin in their ethnicity, should have a similar sense about being a part of the people of God. Man, what are you doing here? What are we doing here? How did we ever get into this group? We are someplace where we don't really belong. The nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 9, to them, to Israel, belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who's God over all, blessed forever. Amen. They were the special people of God. They were privileged. And yet, here this morning, our worship service is filled with Gentiles. Gentiles who've been welcomed into God's family. Throughout the world this morning, Millions of Gentile believers have gathered together in local churches to worship the Lord as adopted members of the Lord's spiritual family. It is really a remarkable privilege of God's grace that Gentile sinners like you and I have been brought in. We've been brought in to the people of God. Again, here's the Apostle Paul explaining that in Ephesians 2. Remember, he's speaking to the the Gentile believers, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, what are we doing here? We should have that sense. We and all Gentile believers grafted in to the people of God because of Christ, because of the servant of the Lord dying for our sin, and adopting us into his household. And Isaiah here shows us why Gentiles have come into the family of God. We see here that this was the plan from the very beginning. The Lord's plan in sending his servant, in sending the Christ, was never just to save Israel, but to bring salvation to the whole world. Again, verse 6. It is too light a thing, he said. It's too light a thing or too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Notice there in verse 6 that the Lord is not saying Jesus would, would bring back all of Israel. He's not promising that everyone who is ethnically a part of Israel would be saved or brought back from their idolatry uh, through Christ. But it says the preserved of Israel, the preserved of Israel, those among Israel that God has preserved. This group is also known as the remnant. It is what the Lord was referring to when he appeared before Elijah in, in 1 Kings 19. Uh, during, during the reign of, uh, of Ahab and Jezebel in Israel, when Elijah believed that the whole of the northern kingdom, the whole of Israel had forsaken the Lord and had all turned uh, to worship the S- Sidonian god of Baal, the Lord assures Elijah the prophet that he was preserving a remnant of true Israelites. 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed their knee to Baal. Israel was was being preserved by the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, he also mentions this remnant. He says, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. The Lord will always preserve a remnant of true believers within Israel and within the church. There will always be a remnant. There will always be a group a number that are preserved by the Lord. But as the Lord declares there in, in, uh, in, in uh, verse 6, the glory and grace of Christ is far greater than to just be the Savior of a remnant of Israel. He was not just sent into the world to live and die for the salvation of a few descendants of Jacob, but, as it says, for the nations, a light for the nations and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We know that that the primary way that the salvation of the Lord Jesus is reaching the nations is through the church. We just talked about this a a few uh, weeks ago when we came to the end of the Gospel of Luke. Prior to the ascension of our Lord into heaven, he commanded his followers to proclaim repentance And the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. So brothers and sisters, we all have a role in this. We are the ones who will spread the light of Christ to others by proclaiming his word. We know that there is darkness in this world. You know that some of your family members, some of your friends are in the darkness. It is the darkness of the lies that they have believed about reality. The lies that they have believed about about life and death, what life and death really means. The lies they have believed about eternal things. And all we have to do is simply open up our Bibles. Open up our Bibles with them and read to them or use our phones and, and, and text them the words that we find here. That's all we have to do to shine light upon their situation. To shine light into the darkness of their beliefs. God has made Jesus a light for the nations, for all people, it says, and we have access to that light right here in the Word of God. So share His words. Speak His words. Obey His words with others. And his light will shine forth in their minds and in their hearts and it may lead to their salvation from the wrath of God for their sins. They may join us in saying, yeah, yeah what, what, what am I doing here? What are we doing here? Also, two weeks ago, uh, we had the privilege of hearing Pastor Vance Christie come and, and share with us a message about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission because he had such a burden for the millions of Chinese people who had never heard of how they could receive the salvation found only in Jesus Christ. We heard that Taylor called upon the church to go or to send workers to shine the light of the gospel in the darkness of the nations and and that is still our call. That is still the call of the church. That's still the mission our Lord has given to us to to, to go and make disciples of all nations. We are the ones who will bring the light of the world. We are the ones who will bring the saving word of Christ to them. And if they listen and if they give attention, they may also be saved from the wrath to come. And finally, verse seven, we see that though despised, the Lord's servant will be honored by all. Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. There are two responses going on here to the Lord's chosen servant. First, He's described by the Lord as as one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, and a servant of rulers. This is very, very strong language being used here to describe how much Christ will be hated. He will not just be disliked by a few, he will not just find it difficult to be tolerated by some. He will not even just be despised, but he will be deeply despised, it says abhorred by the whole nation. This again reveals something terribly wicked about the heart of humanity. We have become so wicked and depraved that when God sends his chosen servant to us, we despised him, we rejected him, we spit on him, we beat him, we cursed him, we mocked him, and we crucified him darkness but we know from late in isaiah later in isaiah in isaiah 53 verse 5 we know that he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities we know that upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed The suffering of the servant will be the way through which he will bring salvation to us and to the nations. He became our substitute. Our guilt, our sins were placed on him, and by his wounds we are healed, we are saved. His suffering had a great purpose so that you could be saved. So, do you know that salvation? Do you know that that as a guilty sinner, your only hope before a holy God is that Jesus took the blame for your sins? That that, that he made your sins his own on that cross? Know that, that Jesus is your Savior, and God is your Redeemer, If you do, then you have come this morning to honor him. You've come to honor him, to to worship him. And you will leave this morning so grateful you came, but just a little disappointed that you couldn't worship him more, that you couldn't honor him better, that you couldn't love his people more effectively. Your desire will be for his honor, for his glory. For that is the heart and the goal for every redeemed Christian. But if that doesn't describe you this morning, if you know you haven't come here to honor and worship Christ, but for some other reason, well, then it's just a matter of time before you will honor him. You will honor him. For as verse 7 shows us, kings shall see and arise, princes And they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The New Testament tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It certainly doesn't seem like that's going to happen today, but it most certainly will. Kings and rulers who have no fear of God today will one day be forced to bow before him and honor him as the undisputed ruler of the universe. And you will too. You will either humble yourself before the Lord before that day comes in salvation, or you will be humbled on that day in judgment. So friend, why wouldn't you come to him today? Why wouldn't you come to him Now, why wouldn't you take advantage of the opportunity that he's giving you today to to repent and find forgiveness and salvation in him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will look upon him and recognize him and see him as the glory of God who will fill your heart with light and joy. And you will have eternal life in him. He's the only way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we uh, come to the end of our passage this morning and consider these things, I pray that you would be working in our hearts, in each, each one here, either confirming the faith that they have in Christ, strengthening them, or convicting their heart of what they are lacking, the hope of salvation in Jesus. And that you would bring them to repentance and faith.